Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have vacated the premises down on College Green because Parliament is effectively no more. It was shut down last night by a very reluctant John Burko and a gaggle of opposition MPs who were singing, brawling and jeering like a gang of drunken sailors on a night out. Out of all the bizarre happenings caused by Brexit over the last three years, yesterday in Parliament has to be possibly the most ridiculous of all. An emergency debate on stopping a no-deal Brexit which was kicked off with a 90-minute love-in with the Speaker, who had just announced he was leaving the job. A ridiculous speech by Ramona-in-Chief Dominic Grieve, in which he demanded to see all the private messages on every phone owned by any member of the government and their special advisers. Even more ridiculous was it was such an important emergency debate, but for most of the afternoon, the whole chamber was practically empty. A ludicrous scene then uh, occurred as the House of Commons prepared to shut down when Labour MPs attempted to stop Speaker Burko from standing up, believing that if he remained seated, the Parliament could not be suspended. Lloyd Russell Moyle, a bloke who's known in this part of the world for getting himself into trouble inside the chamber before, he threw himself on the speaker while Caroline Lucas careened off into the green benches as a scuffle ensued. It was possibly the most unedifying spectacle in the long history of modern democracy in this country. Quite frankly, I for one was aghast. I for one was ashamed. I for one don't ever wish to see any of those people again. And I certainly don't want to see them representing this country in a democracy, sitting in a chamber where they're supposed to represent the people. Today, we will attempt to work out exactly what the legal position is, precisely whether anyone in the government is going to have to hand over their phones, whether Boris Johnson is going to have to write any letters to the European Union, whether he's going to have to travel anywhere between now and October the 14th, and also whether we will actually leave the European Union. And if so, when? We'll be addressing all of that plus an awful lot more. 0344 Also, of course, we'll be asking the question about Theresa May's ludicrous honours list as well, where it seems to be the only qualification you need to become uh, Sir something or with CBE or OBE after your name is to have got something completely and utterly wrong. The planks who caused this problem, the people who decided to go for an election back in 2017, they've all been given honours as if they've done a great thing. It's hard to believe, isn't it? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here. On Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, you'd have to say, uh, even for the most uninterested political observer, even for people who'd rather be watching Scotland getting beaten 4 nothing by Belgium, 
yesterday in Parliament was one of the most ridiculous spectacles I think any of us have ever seen. It went on late into the night. I actually couldn't watch it for the entire time because I thought, this is going to send me insane. I watched it in the afternoon. I watched a bit of the John Burko Lovin, uh, but I switched it off for a while and decided to watch Peaky Blinders instead, which was actually far more realistic than what was going on inside Westminster. But I put it back on again around about 11 o'clock, only to discover that it was still the most ridiculous spectacle I'd ever seen. And then it got worse. Let's just take a back look to what went on yesterday, because you may not have seen it, you may not have heard it, you may not have quite understood the full madness of what happened. John Burko, after almost 10 years as Speaker of the House, announced this. The least disruptive and most democratic course of action would be for me to stand down at the close of business on Thursday, October the 31st. Now, this man loves the sound of his own voice more than he loves his own family we are led to believe, uh, he made it clear how much the role of being Speaker had meant to him. This has been, let me put it explicitly, the greatest privilege and honour of my professional life for which I will be eternally grateful. He didn't sound particularly grateful, though, because most of the rest of the time he spent berating everybody else, telling them that he couldn't care less about them, telling them that he didn't care what they did, that he didn't care what they thought. Here is how he treated a junior government minister. Don't tell me, young man, from a sedentary position, what I can and can't say. If you're not interested, leave the chamber. I'm not remotely interested in your pettifogging objection chuntered inelegantly from a sedentary position. The position is as I've described it, and quite frankly, young man, you can like it or lump it. Do you think he was auditioning for a part in some kind of a soap opera over in the United States of America where he had a very lucrative uh, engagement series of events recently uh, because he's treated as some kind of YouTube star? John Burko, the uh, John Burko Limited, uh, will soon become an independent individual. Uh, he may even end up, of course, in the European court in somewhere, uh, or he may end up in the European Union somewhere because Giva Hofstadt said yesterday that they'd love to see him there uh, with a little winky emoji. Now, uh, let's find out about Boris Johnson because let's not forget the reason that they were all in Parliament yesterday was to either have a conversation about leaving the European Union with or without a deal or to ask about a general election. This government will press on with negotiating a deal. <laughs> while preparing to leave without one. And I will go to that crucial summit in Brussels on October the 17th. And no matter how many devices this parliament invents to tie my hands, I will strive, Mr Speaker, to get an agreement in the national interest. Those key words, of course, in the national interest. After uh, all of the flagellation that went on uh, and the regarding of each other as brilliant, Boris also wasn't too nice about Jeremy Corbyn. I'd like to know, Mr Speaker, if the honourable gentleman wishes to avoid a no-deal Brexit, why does he not call an election, get a mandate, go to Brussels and negotiate a deal himself. What's his objection to that? Well, you might well ask Boris, what is his objection to that? Jeremy Corbyn, of course, says it's the Prime Minister... 
Boris Johnson, who is playing political games. I think we've had quite enough of the playground politics of the Conservative Party this evening. The one thing the Prime Minister didn't say was that he was going to obey the law of this country. Jeremy Corbyn, of course, is a man who's been calling for an election for an awfully long time. It seems even to the point uh, where it was revealed over the weekend, and in fact it was revealed uh, on our show yesterday down uh, on College Green, Labour Party officials have actually been mailing out um, pamphlets to people all across the country saying these words, the time for an election is now. Uh, but here's what Jeremy has to say. Because, Mr Speaker, we're the responsible party in this room, we don't want to crash out with no deal. And there is also, Mr Speaker, the issue, of course, of trust in a Prime Minister who is unable to answer any questions and is desperate to suspend Parliament to avoid any scrutiny. Uh, actually, he's not desperate to avoid any scrutiny because he wants to have a general election, which is pretty much the best kind of scrutiny that in a democracy you can actually have, uh, Mr Opposition Leader Jeremy Corbyn. What an absolute disgrace. I'll tell you who summed up Jeremy Corbyn for me brilliantly, and that was the independent MP Ian Austin uh, from Dudley, a former Labour minister who has been a long-time critic of Mr Corbyn, but I'll tell you what, yesterday he really let him have it. There's not a single Labour figure in the past, not a single one, who would have backed violent street protest, as the Shadow Chancellor did, when he called for, quote, insurrection to bring down the government, or praised rioters who he said had kicked out the, kicked out the, kicked the SHIT out of the Conservative Party's offices, or talked, well, she might not want to hear it, but I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, I, well, I'm not going up, well, I've explained, I've explained why I'm not going over there, but I'll tell you this, well, I'll tell, well, I'm here. I'm here because my vote, because voters in Dudley North sent me here to represent them. Well, and my views, and my views, and the things I stand up for, decency in politics, the rule of law, none of these things have changed, and everybody in Dudley knew exactly what I thought of these people at the last election. And I'll tell you this, and I'll tell the honourable lady this, I'm going to make absolutely certain that she's going to have to answer to her voters for these points at the next election. Ian Austin, uh, MP for Dudley there. He was getting heckled, by the way, uh, by one of Labour's very own backbenchers, Liz McInnes, who was sitting behind him, basically screeching at him to go to the other side, trying to get him to move over to the Tory benches. Absolutely unbelievable scenes. I've not seen anything like it. I've been covering politics in this country for a very long time. Everyone that I know who's been covering politics in this country for a very long time was quite disgusted by what went on last night, quite absolutely appalled that these people think that that is an appropriate way way to behave around each other, uh, putting out this image of our parliament across the world. It's quite frankly mind-boggling. Let's go to the phones. 0344 499 1000. Yours is the voice of reason. Yours uh, are the voices that I want to hear this morning. We will be talking to a bunch of other people as well. However, tell us what you thought of what happened last night. I think it was a disgrace. Let's talk to Darren in Wiltshire. Hello, Darren. Hello there, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, nice to talk to you. What, what yeah, do you want to tell great. us? Well, I, as I said, I, I was absolutely disgusted by what I've seen last night and what I've been seeing in the past month. You know, I, and as I, said, I said to the person before, these are the people who sent me to war, right? Yeah. They sent me to Afghanistan, these people. And, you know, there's a lot of people who didn't come back. And this is the sort of shower, shabby shower we've got to deal with. These bunch of privileged sort of uni students sitting yeah. at the backs with placards, it absolutely disgusts me and I'm, I'm so fuming about yeah. it. 
I think you, you, know, you will, I, you and an awful lot of ordinary people in this country, Darren, and I don't mean that uh, derogatively, I mean, you know, the people who yeah. voted these idiots into power, uh, and we have to watch that, it's awful. I'm absolutely disgusted. I, I just, you know, I, I talk to, living around the world in the military as well, I have a lot of foreign friends, and, you know, they used to look at us Brits, and used to go, like, you know, thanks for helping us out, or, you know, we'd have a good joke about things. They, they joke about us now. Yeah, but... You know, we're, we're an absolute... Uh, you know, they, these people like moral fibre. They like any determination to get things done. Mm. I, I'm just so fuming. It's a shambles. Like, Listen, you know? Darren, you've summed up, I think, the way the country feels this morning because we are disgusted by the behaviour of these MPs. We are appalled by their inability to find a solution to this problem. And quite frankly, we're sick to the back teeth of watching it. I'm quite happy that the proroguing has happened. I'm quite happy we will not have to watch any of it for five weeks. But what we will be finding out on this show today is precisely what does happen in the intervening period before they all open the doors again to the mother of all parliaments. I could think of something else to call it. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, we want to hear from you today because people are very angry. People are very fed up. What we saw yesterday in Parliament was an absolute and utter ludicrous spectacle, the like of which I don't think any of us have ever seen, even watching the most bizarre happenings in sometimes one of the most bizarre democratic chambers of law uh, in the world, right? But I have to say, one of the things that has struck me throughout this whole Brexit conundrum, this whole nightmare uh, and ludicrous kind of, you know, four-dimensional chess that we've been going through is the number of lawyers who keep popping up and ruining everything because there's a very famous um, saying, let's kill all the lawyers, which is a Shakespearean line from Henry VI, part two, act four, scene two. Uh, the full quote is the first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. I don't mean this by any means, literally, and certainly not uh, in application to Bobby Friedman, uh, a good friend of the station and barrister, of course. Bobby, very good morning to you. <laughs> good morning, Mike. I was a bit worried there for a moment. <laughs> well, you know... There's nothing worse than getting lawyers involved in things, in my experience. They're very useful people in certain situations, but when you put them into every situation, you end up kind of where we are. And I'm not going to say I blame the lawyers, but I kind of do. Well, I, I, I see your point, Mike, because as, as lawyers, what we're very good at is coming up with different arguments. Right. So obviously you can, you can always find a contrary argument to anything. So you can, you can argue that black is white and that white is black. And, and I do think that at the moment there is... Uh, rather than looking at the politics, because what we should be trying to do is trying to find a solution that broadly works for people. Trying, people need to be compromising, need to be looking at ways forward. Instead of which, I think pe people are actually polarising and trying to sit on technical legal arguments and taking clever points as they see them. And that is what is getting in the way of actually trying to cut through this mess that we have at the moment, which is why Brexit is going 
on and on forever. Yes, because what they're not doing is finding solutions. They're finding reasons to not find a solution, if you know what I mean. And I've sat in rooms, uh, you know, in, in, in journalistic cases, in libel cases. I had my own divorce case that I sat through. Uh, I've been in court for various other uh, stories that I've covered. And I see how law lawyers and the legal system works. And when I watched Dominic Grieve yesterday making his speech about how he wanted to basically subpoena everybody's phone so that they could get a look at it, it was almost like a discovery in a criminal case that they wanted to make and that's not what we're dealing with here and he's you know I, I can't see also how he can make that work well let me tell you there's something that's even more concerning about that mike which is that if you were in a court case to try and get the doc the documents or the messages from an, from the other side which is something that as a barrister i do all the time there are very strict rules as to what you can get and there's a thing called fishing which mm. is uh, looked down on completely by the court. And the court said, you can't have these documents because you are fishing for it, which is that you can't just throw, cast your line out and hope that you get a bite on the end of that right. line. What you have to do in a court is to actually say there is a good reason, based on evidence, for thinking that, that me seeing these documents will lead me to, to actually getting something. And what Parliament has done, this is where I'm a bit concerned by, by how far Parliament is actually overreaching, is that MPs are not going by any set of rules. They just say, well, we're Parliament, we can do whatever we like. And they're just forcing people to hand over their private messages, what's on their phones, and they haven't made out the, this prima facie case with evidence that there's actually going to be anything on there. They're just saying, well, we think there might be, right. and we'd like to find out. Well, this is it. Well, I mean, Dominic Grieve's position appears to be, uh, well, we all know that the, 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 the government have lied before and that they are hiding things from us, so therefore we demand to see everything. Rather like uh, Jolien Morm, uh, QC, who can't seem to give up on uh, remaining in the European Union, who's now apparently going to try and petition a court on the basis that Boris Johnson might be about to commit a crime. I mean, it's like, you know, if they've rewritten the laws of the, of, of the jungle or something? Well, you're absolutely right, because what I think we're seeing is a lot of political court cases. And I just don't think it works. Now, look, Joe jo Moore believes uh, very sincerely in what he believes. Uh, it may not be something I happen to agree with, but what he... I don't think you can fault someone for having, uh, you know, genuinely held political beliefs. But no, but what, I, what I object to, Bobby, but what I object to, Bobby, is the people who follow him, and I don't mean just on Twitter, I mean those who look to him for sort of legal advice, don't seem to grasp that there are plenty of bits of legal advice that you can garner from various different QCs, various different lawyers, and guess what? They lose as many times as they win. So the idea that he's somehow up on this pedestal and knows all about the law is entirely wrong. Well, he's a tax lawyer. He's not a constitutional lawyer. He made, uh, he made a career out of um, standing up for a lot of people who've been involved in tax avoidance. That was what he was uh, very good How at. And ironic. had a good reputation for. Indeed, I ironic. Uh, but that's, that's what he knows. Uh, he's not a constitutional lawyer any more than, than I am, and I put my hands up to that. But, but the point is, he is trying to, to use, and, and the Good Law Project, which he runs, is running political court cases. Um, and I just think that doesn't work because it actually can end up backfiring. You had, and this wasn't a Joe Morn case, but the, the Gina Miller original case where she went to court and we had 11 Supreme Court justices saying that, uh, that, that Parliament 
had to pass a law in order to trigger Article 50. That was the most politically stupid thing mm. that you could possibly do, because what otherwise would have happened would be Theresa May would have triggered Article 50 by herself. Can you imagine now what Remainers would be saying? They'd say, it's the ex-Prime Minister, she's discredited, Parliament never agreed to it. Instead of which, Gina Miller brought a court case, everyone went on about how important it was, but all she managed to achieve was to, was to get almost 500 MPs to all pass a law allowing, allowing us to trigger Article 50. So these court cases, uh, uh, frankly, it, it's part of the seven stages of grief, and it's it sort of... Uh, the, the bargaining stage, where you think, well, if if I bring this court case, well, maybe the court mm. do this. That's not that's not the solution. The solution, as I say, is to, is to come up with a, a political outcome. And and these court cases lack any kind of nuance. They can't keep up with events. And that's why I think they ultimately end up backfiring. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always go back to my experience in America where they've got more lawyers you shake a stick at. And when I was working there and I needed some office space and I wanted to rent some office space in a very cute building overlooking the Flatiron building down on the lower Fifth Avenue, it was perfect for me. It was a great space. I got a lawyer. The, the, the people I wanted to rent from said, you must have a lawyer. We cannot uh, negotiate with you. We will not sign a lease to hold agreement with you unless you have a lawyer do it because you might come back later and sue it. So I said, all right, I'll go and get a lawyer. I went and got the lawyer. After the first day's negotiation, he rang me and said the deal's off. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've told them you're not having it because they won't give us what we want. I'm like, no, I want, I want, the, I want the office space. And in the end, I had to tell him to stop being so argumentative. And eventually we got the, the thing sorted out. But tell me, um, Bobby, what is going to happen in the next five weeks? What is the legal position that Boris Johnson is now in and what can he do? Well, what are the, uh, the problems with the Ben bill that has now passed and become uh, an act of parliament? is that it doesn't require Boris Johnson to do anything until the 19th of October. So he does have to, and this is absolutely clear, he does have to send the letter to the EU asking for the extension. By, by which I, date does he have to do that? But by the 19th of October. Okay. Now, what he can't do, I don't agree with people who say that he could send a letter at the same time saying, oh, I know I'm sending you this letter, but I don't mean it, uh, because the, the, the Act does say that he can't modify his request. Mm. So he has to send that letter. But what he can do over the next month and, and a bit is two things. So number one, of course, he can try and negotiate a deal. And I do actually think, my, my sneaking suspicion is that, that Boris Johnson, part of his and Dominic Cummings' plan is actually to try and scare people so that when they come back with a deal, they can try and present that as, as a, well, you'll get no deal or you'll get this deal. So yeah. it will help to, to do what Theresa May can never do and get the deal uh, through Parliament. But the other thing he can do between now and October the 19th, in my view, it's perfectly legal for him to keep telling the EU, I'm going to send you this letter, but you have to be aware that when I send you this letter, what we're going to do if you give us the extension is, is X, Y, and Z. We're not going to nominate a commissioner. We will veto uh, in, any laws that we're entitled to veto. We will vote against any laws. We will make your life as difficult as possible. So in doing so, that can, can affect whether the EU in fact grants an extension and for how long. Yes, because they've always said that their granting of an extension would only be if there was a reasonably good reason to do so. 
Um, and if it doesn't look to them as though anything's changed, then presumably they have to say, well, there is no great reason to think that anything is any different from what it was back in March or in May or in June, indeed. And here's my favourite suggestion of the day that was uh, sent in on Twitter, that everyone who voted to leave should send the same, uh, a slightly different letter to uh, the European Union so that 17 million letters all arrive at the same time and they'll never find the one that's sent by Boris. <laughs> well, that, that, that's one. I mean, I also saw someone suggest that the, the letter gets sent by carrier pigeons who yes. arrived after they're dead. Or, I mean, or, well, yesterday, that, some, yesterday someone was suggesting British Airways who would be almost certain to lose it uh, or, or not get there at all. <laughs> that, that is a very good idea. It would almost certainly be delayed by, by more than the couple of weeks it, it would take. But, I mean, look, the, the, the reality is that much of people try and find a way around it. Boris is going to have to have to send that, that letter or, if he doesn't want to, He's going to, to have to resign. What, what I would say is this suggestion that somehow Boris Johnson is going to end up in prison, that is frankly wishful thinking yeah. from people who, uh, who should know better than, than to be making those suggestions. Uh, that just simply is not going to happen. No, I don't think so. One thing we can be sure of is there'll be lots of lawyers working very hard over the next five weeks, finding all sorts of reasons to keep getting paid, right? Well, of course. I mean, that, we are lawyers and that, that is what we do. I mean, I should say, defending our profession, of course, uh, you know, there are, there are some bad lawyers. Lawyers are also getting involved in politics and like being clever about it. But actually, compared to your experience in, in America in particular, there is a lot, a lot that's good about our own legal system. And one thing you can be, can be sure about is that, that, firstly, the lawyers who stand up in court will always make sure that they put the interests of the court first. That's what our duty is. And secondly, that our judges genuinely, unlike in America and other countries, don't take political decisions. And we do have a very good rule of law in the UK. Yes, no, I totally agree with that, Bobby. Thank you very much indeed. Bobby Friedman, uh, barrister, giving us the lowdown on what now uh, is kind of permissible under the law, uh, what Boris Johnson is permitted to do, uh, what he is not permitted to do. It's going to be interesting because I think over the next week or two, we will start to see plenty of manoeuvring on all sides as we move on to the next stage. Because the one good thing, despite the disgraceful shenanigans of last night, despite the ludicrous nonsense of last week, is that we are actually moving. You might not think we are, but we are actually moving closer to a decision here. And we are actually moving closer, I believe, to leaving the European Union. I also believe we are moving closer to a general election. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Just before we talk to Dr Mike Smith, who's one of our regular NHS commentators, let me give you this. Uh, it's been tweeted out by Daniel Hannan, uh, MEP for the Brexit Party, uh, the Tory Party, sorry. New jobs figures just out. More than 300,000 new full-time jobs since last year. More than 3 million new full-time jobs since 2010. Average pay up 4%, the fastest rise since the Gordon Brown recession. And unemployment at its lowest level in 45 years. So, uh, I wonder why Jeremy Corbyn doesn't want to have an election. Seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? 0344 499 1000. Headline on the front pages this morning in the Daily Mail, at last action to beat pills crisis. Uh, and in the Sun, shock rise in pill addicts as docs prescribe to 11.5 million people, that is, in this country, who are being prescribed dangerously addictive drugs, including, of course, antidepressants. Let's talk to Dr Mike Smith, our regular NHS commentator, and find out what he makes of it all. Dr Mike, a very good morning to you. And to you, Mike. Yes, yes. I mean, we're, we're not as bad as America. In America, you can actually uh, advertise opioids in the media, as you can in New Zealand. But even, they, but even, they... yeah, but even there now, uh, it's becoming a huge political football, isn't it? Because people, oh, are, right. uh, people are dying, people are becoming addicted to things, yep. and they're blaming the sort of easy availability of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not just uh, opioids, it's sleeping pills, it's antidepressants, as you mentioned, yeah. uh, variety. You know, I, I mean, there's a fine line between the doctor and patient relationship, sitting together and working out what is best for the patient, and actually preaching, uh, preaching in numbers overall. Undoubtedly, the opioids are a case in point, in that uh, some people more than others get a high after they've been taking them for a bit, and they, they t they're taken, given them initially for painkilling, but in fact, you know, it's been shown that after three months, they don't work nearly so well, and therefore they should only be used for short-term purposes. But if the individual concerned is not just getting the early pain relief from the opioids, because it's considered that they need something stronger than the regularly prescribed stuff, or the ones you can buy over the counter, aspirin and um, uh, ibuprofen, um, they, they get a high from it, and then they tend to get hooked on it, just like people do with sleeping tablets. And in fact, some people do with antidepressants when they're dished out for just everyday mild depression rather than i mean if it's a real depression if it's a depression of the kind that needs psychiatric and not just general practice help um then it's understandable that people will remain on antidepressants and so on for much longer yeah i mean certainly in my experience which is only of speaking to people uh, on the radio because i used to do an overnight show where you get an awful lot of people ringing up for all sorts of reasons many of them having trouble sleeping many of them yeah. suffering from depression but an awful lot of people said i was given these antidepressant pills, and I would say, well, how long ago? And they would say things like 10 years ago or 15 yeah. years ago. And I would say to them, well, has no doctor ever sort of said to you, maybe we should try something different? And interestingly, they said no. They just continued to give me the prescription. And, you know, if I stop taking them, I feel worse. So I'm just going to yeah. carry on. Yeah, well, you see, all these pills do give you a bit of an uplift and, and you feel the effects, the negative effects when you stop them. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why I think perhaps... Um, it's got to be looked at more closely and perhaps general practitioners in particular have got to think 
uh, you know, the people that are on them now, they're going to have problems with because the people are going to say, oh, you know, if I come off, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, every new patient, I think, which should be looked at. And, and when it is suggested that um, uh, one of these prescriptions is required, that, um, that they're reassessed pretty quickly uh, as to whether or not it's worth continuing or, or whether some other avenue um, in terms of talking therapies or physical therapies is the way to go. Yeah, I think there's definitely um, a sort of tightening up of things required here, isn't there? Because it seems fairly easy to get hold of these antidepressants. I mean, what, for example, if you're a GP, are the guidelines for, for granting or not granting a, a, a sort of a, 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 a diagnosis of antidepressant pills? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is very difficult. I mean, I remember when I first went into practice, uh, there was one particular patient that was prescribed. It wasn't any of these pills, but it was a, a particular um, a, a bowel relaxing uh, a thing, which he'd been on forever. And he also insisted on a monthly injection of a, a weekly injection of a, a vitamin. Mm. Um, and um, I, you know, the fresh young doctor comes along and says, well, I think we ought to reappraise this. I think we'll just stop this at the end of the week and we'll We'll see how that goes. We'll stop the other one at the end of the next week and see how that goes. Uh, two nights later, he phoned me up in the middle of the night, <laughs> in the middle of the night. And I thought, you know, it wasn't doing him too much harm what he was mm. taking, but he was undoubtedly, you know, not only was it not doing him any good, it potentially doing him harm. And he was also using the NHS for no particularly good reason because he didn't need either of these uh, particular approaches. Right. But there we are. And when you are faced with a patient, it is very difficult in order to make them feel that, you're on their side, whilst at the same time not trying to present the nanny state, which is how the um, critics would uh, No, quite. It, you know. But isn't it funny that the whole NHS, more or less, is now about being very much a nanny state? I mean, we had that ridiculous sort of outburst the other day, although you may differ from me on, on that, uh, from your opinion point of view, uh, of the chief medical officer saying that we may lose something like 10 million people who could die uh, if we don't get off this addiction to um, antibiotics that we seem to be currently suffering from. And again, trying to stop people from getting antibiotics for what you might regard as sort of simple ills, whereas yeah. handing out, you know, quite, quite happily dozens and dozens and dozens of antidepressants. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I agree. It's, it's very, it, it is very difficult at practice level, though, when people are already on it and already hooked and are going to see you as the, you know, the person who's not on their side. But undoubtedly, I mean, the better publicity, Mike, I'm sure, is one of the ways to go. I remember when, you know, the evidence beyond all reasonable doubt came in about the, the dangers of smoking. And, you know, we're still, there's still some people who are smoking, mm. whereas given that there is no doubt at all that it's the biggest single cause of ill health and death, that people still went on doing it. Um, you know, you've got the argument, yeah, well, my granddad lived to 90 and he smoked 60 woodbines a day, <laughs> to which the answer was, yes, I know people who've fallen out of a six-four window and lived, but I wouldn't recommend it. No, I mean, quite. Got, you know, well, I mean, but here's, here's a good example, perhaps, of something that, uh, that, that is easy to stop, right? Um, and it's a, it's a sort of a, um, a case analysis in the Daily Mail. A mother of two became addicted to cocodamol after being prescribed it for a simple knee operation, and she basically says her addiction lasted 25 years because she didn't realise that it was a mixture of, uh, of codeine and paracetamol. Therefore, it was quite an addictive opioid. Well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not, I don't think it's classed as an opioid these days, though. It, I, I agree it's something that you don't want to take for longer than... Well, in fact, most GPs endeavour to not prescribe it anymore. But um, 
when you're when you are on it, um, you know, it's um, I mean, an opioid by definition is something that does very similar things to morphine and codeine, which right. are opiates. They're not opioids. Right. Opioids. Um, so, but codeine's got things on its own, although it doesn't strictly fall into the opioid category. Right. And does I mean, is there anything in your doctor's kind of code of conduct, if you like, which 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 requires you to give a warning to people who you're giving these pills to? Well, I think there ought to be. I mean, I, since I'm no longer in practice because I'm retired, um, I don't know what's currently being sent out, on, you know, regularly. But right. um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it should be incorporated in postgraduate talks and um, generally uh, that that's something that should be done, I think. Yes, absolutely. Because, of course, the other thing uh, that I find slightly paradoxical here is if I... And this has happened to me. You go to, say, a big supermarket and you want, I once went to buy a packet of uh, Lemsip, which was the powdered form of Lemsip, and also then some capsules because I thought I might be at work, I might not be able to always make a drink, I'll take this, I've got a cold. Um, I went to pay for them and the woman behind the till said, I'm sorry, um, I can't sell you those. And I said, I'm sorry, beg your pardon? She said, I can't sell you uh, two different packets of Lemsip. I can only sell you one. All right. And I yeah. went, uh, well, why is that? She said, well, because you're not allowed to buy that much in bulk. I said, it's yeah. not really bulk. What do you think I am? You know, like something kind of breaking bad. I'm going to go home and break all the stuff open and start making, you know, crystal meth out of it. You know, it's not going to last me very long. I've only got a cold, for heaven's sake. I had to go yeah. to three different chemists to get yeah. three different packets. Well, I know the same would apply to paracetamol. I think 16, uh, is it 16 or 32 is all you can buy yes. in, in a pharmacy. Right. Um, but, you know, there's nothing to stop you, as you said, going to other pharmacies. But um, nevertheless, you are doing that. The pharmacist having said, no, you can, can only buy this amount at a time. Um, I, do, I just think there's a lot of inconsistency, as, as I often say when we, you and I talk about the NHS. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the, the worst, I don't know if it's still true, but it certainly was a decade or so ago that uh, paracetamol, overdose of paracetamol is, is one of the most, pop, one of the most uh, common um, overdoses. That, that yeah, no, I'm do. sure it is. I'm sure it is. And I, listen, I'm not complaining about the fact that they restrict the sale. I'm just saying yeah. I find it slightly paradoxical. Um, that you can't get two packets of Lemsip, but that you can be addicted uh, to cocodamol for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you keep getting it for the doctor. Yeah, 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 I, know, I hear what you're saying. It's a difficult one, Mike, um, it is. like everything else. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'll, let me put it to you this way then. Let's end with a, with a high. If somebody's listening to this show and I've got a few people... Do you people, really mean a high? I, I do. I'm not, I, you know, I don't say things by accident. I do this for a living. Um, let's, finish, let's finish it on a high. If you are somebody listening to this, and I know there are people tweeting me about it right now who are saying, who are saying they are suffering and they are taking antidepressants and they don't know how to stop, what could you say to them to do? Well, I would suggest that they, again, talk to their own GP yeah. and, if needs be, talk to a specialist psychiatrist who will perhaps have made this a particular interest and will have ways to be able to help. But, yes. I mean, you know, if, if something doesn't work at general practice level and there is a specialty, it's always worth a try to see whether or not uh, how they get around it. OK, great stuff. Dr Mike Smith, thank you very much. As ever, uh, if you are suffering and you are uh, worried about some kind of addictive practice that you've got yourself into because you don't know how to stop, by all means, um, talk to us, uh, but also talk to your GP as well and see whether they can help you because if you are suffering from what 
you think is an addiction to prescription pills, you know, that's not going to be good for you in the long run. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we heard just before the news from Alex Dibble, who was speaking to Rory Stewart and one or two other uh, MPs at the launch of MPs for a deal. Uh, And basically, Rory Stewart's line was... Well, we can't alienate half of the country by going for no deal, and we can't alienate half of the other country, half of the rest of the country, by going for remain. So getting a deal is probably the best way forward. Now, it sounds like it would make sense, but in this rather bizarre atmosphere, febrile atmosphere that we currently exist in politically, I don't know whether it's going to be any different. Let's talk to Victoria Prentice, Conservative MP for North Oxfordshire, and find out what she has in mind. Victoria, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, we tried getting a deal through Parliament, didn't we? And everybody was kind of more or less rounded up uh, and and united against it. So I think it's going to be quite tough to to define what a workable deal is going to be, isn't it? Well, I voted for it, and so did 92% of my Conservative colleagues. So I don't think it's fair to say that nobody voted for it. What I do take from this morning and the launch of MPs for a deal is that there is a really strong feeling from the MPs who are still in Parliament working hard that they want to compromise on behalf of their constituents. People are fed up to the back teeth of us not agreeing and being negative and just saying no to things. We've got to start being positive and sensible and pragmatic and find a good way forward for the country. But you're quite right to say that the majority of the Tory party voted for it. The reason I said that people were united against it was because people from every party didn't like bits of it. And certainly the the, the, the rump of the Labour Party, who now appear to be more interested in stopping anything from happening, will not vote apparently for any deal proposed by the government. Well, it's interesting that a lot of my Labour colleagues, many of whom, of course, represent very leave-heavy seats, are getting involved in MPs for a deal. And that's one of the reasons that I'm willing to make that leap of faith, if you like, and work cross-party very hard for a deal, because I'm impressed with the stance that they're taking and the practical calm approach they're taking to this really difficult issue. Remember, in the referendum, we didn't divide on party lines as to which way we voted. This isn't really a party political issue. So let's, if you like, try and take the the politics out of it and try to work cross-party. You could say we should have been doing that very hard for the last three years, so we wouldn't be in this mess. Well, that's very true. A lot of people blame Theresa May for that, of course, saying that she was very unwilling to work with other parties. I don't know if that's true. Certainly she failed in her mission to try and bring a deal back from Brussels. The problem she had, of course, as well, was that the deal had to be acceptable to Brussels. So not only do you have to find enough MPs who like what you come up with, but it has to be something that Brussels would also uh, go along with. Well, the reality is we the final deal that I really hope we get to vote on in about a month's time is going to have to be something that has already substantially been worked on before. I'm not saying it's going to be the same as the previous deal, but a lot of the work that's been done previously is going to have to be reused. Boris assured me last week in person that he was going all out for a deal and he was really trying to renegotiate, in particular the aspects of the Irish backstop, which some of my colleagues didn't like. I'm happy to look at what he comes back with 
and I'm really expecting to be able to vote for that. And what is so good about today's developments is that I get the impression that lots of Labour and even possibly some Liberal and Independent MPs are in the same place as me. Yes, I think that may well be true. The difficulty, of course, is that, um, you know, where do you then fit into the matrix, as it were, uh, of this four-dimensional game of chess? Because you're joining it at a very late stage. Presumably you can't be uh, in an advisory role to the government. Um, what, what exactly are you, is your plan? Well, I think we can look carefully at what the options are in this period while we're waiting for the government to do the renegotiation. Of course, the government is, is the body that will have to do that. But I think we can do what we're doing today. We can talk positively about a deal, positively about compromise and being moderate and, and the, the good things that can come out of that. For too long, this debate has been taken over by the two extremes, if you like. And I don't get the impression, walking around my constituency at least, that the majority of my constituents are in that place at all. We respect the referendum, we're ready to leave the EU, but we want to do so in a sensible and orderly way. And I think the vast majority of the country would thank us if we were able to do that. I think the vast majority of the, of the country would thank you if you were able to do anything at this point, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> well, exactly. that's, kind of, that's kind of where we are. But of course, the danger, and I, this is where I wonder, and I don't know whether you've got any insight on Downing Street here, but, you know, is Boris Johnson in the next four weeks likely to be talking to the EU about a deal? Uh, is he going to go over there to discuss a deal? Is he going to try and produce something uh, which is going to help everybody out on the backstop, which is to get rid of it, but to provide something as an alternative, which they say up to now he hasn't done? You know, how is it all going to work? Well, I met him last week with a very small group of colleagues and he reassured us that he was definitely going all out for a deal. He was trying to cope with the issues on the backstop, which many of my colleagues didn't like, and that he was quite opposed to the no-deal outcome. So I was very reassured by that meeting. And that's one of the reasons I'm so keen to get involved in MPs for a Deal, because I want to make sure that when this deal comes back, that the press is prepared to give it a fair hearing. And You'll always get a fair hearing from the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, Victoria. I would hope so. Um, and But that isn't sadly true of all of the print press, in particular last time the deal came back. And I really, really hope that we can engage with colleagues across the House to make everybody feel invested in this deal and to feel that it's the right way for the country to move forward. Is there a danger that because of what's happened and the way that everything's been framed, if you like, that you've kind of got uh, daggers drawn by those who want no deal and those who want to remain, that if any kind of deal is somehow agreed and agreeable, that everyone will go for it, but it might not be the best deal? Well, truthfully, we are going to be working on the details of how we leave the European Union for a very long time. Yes. I think what is important is that we get through the leaving stage, if you like, and are able to agree, uh, coalesce around a broad deal that we're all vaguely happy with, but that the details going forward of the future trading partnership, how we deal with immigration, how we deal with EU citizens living in different countries. And I must say, I don't think we ever talk enough about the human cost of Brexit and how worried people are about movement and their families living in different places. Um, I think what is important is that we are able 
to deal with these knotty issues calmly and sensible in the in the years, truthfully, that are ahead of us. Nobody thought leaving the EU was going to be something that happened quickly. What has been really sad is that the actual leaving process has been so difficult. We're going to be dealing with the details of the future, future partnership for many, many years to come. Of course. And one of the things that has made life very difficult, I think, for people to to watch and, uh, and, to, and to see the kinds of scenes that we saw last night, the kind of um, vitriol that appears to exist in our political class now, the kinds of uh, name-calling that goes on, the sorts of accusations being made that Boris Johnson's a fascist, he's a racist, made in the House of Commons by honourable members of that club. You know, I find it quite disgraceful, frankly. I, I find it really upsetting, actually. I'm, I was up until 2.30 in the Me morning. Me too. It wasn't a very edifying experience for those of us that were in the chamber or for anybody watching, mm. I shouldn't think. It's embarrassing, truthfully, um, that it's come to this. And that's why I'm trying to find a glimmer of positivity and compromise this morning, which is why I'm so keen on this new group. If you could describe, I don't know whether it's too early to say, but if you could describe something that you would absolutely not be willing to, to accept from Theresa May's deal, something that would have to come out of it, what would that be? Well, don't forget, I voted for Theresa May's deal. Yeah, but you're not going to get that through. Yeah, but I mean, I don't care how Stockholm Syndrome the MPs are at this point, <laughs> you're not going to get it through the fourth time. I think Boris, well, Boris told me that he was working hard on elements to do with the backstop and other arrangements that he could make for the Irish border. So I guess that is that is what he's concentrating on. As far as I'm concerned, as long as it's a sensible deal, a deal that the EU can live with, a deal that most of my colleagues can live with, I'm happy. Okay. And how many have you got so far in your group MPs for a deal? Well, we're, we're just sort of launching this morning, so I can't really tell you yet. In fact, I haven't even got as far as writing around Conservative MPs yet to ask them to join. So I think it's a bit early to say. Well, where do you write to the letters to at the moment? Because obviously they're not in Parliament, are they? Well, we still, a lot of them are, in fact, still here. I've got important meetings this afternoon. I've got one about agriculture. I've got one about Kashmir. Many of my constituents' um, uh, families originated from Kashmir. And I've, I've got, in fact, an Attorney General meeting at lunchtime. So I think quite a lot of people are still about because there was there were meetings in the diary. You just write to their MPs' addresses. Constituents can still contact us in a normal way. And I don't know about my colleagues, but quite frankly, I'm going to be working quite hard and okay. normal over the last next five weeks. All right. Well, listen, Victoria, good luck with it. Uh, I wish you luck. Do keep, you. Us, do keep us in touch with what you're coming up with because we can give you an automatic and straightforward, um, you know, people's vote on it and you'll know whether you're going down the right road. Yeah, well, thank you. I really hope that people get behind us and support the MPs. It's brave of Labour MPs in particular to come out in support of this. OK. Um, so, yeah, give support to your MP is what I'd say. All right, Victoria, thanks very much indeed. Victoria Prentice, Tory MP for North Oxfordshire, uh, having formed a group called MPs for a Deal. Very much embryonic in its uh, uh, start-off status at the moment. But, listen, I don't mind if the deal is one that people want. What I don't want is a deal that nobody wants, which is what Theresa May's deal was. Boris Johnson has said that Theresa May's deal is dead. He's also said that he might be working on a version of Theresa May's deal. He's also said that he's working on an alternative to the Irish backstop. He's also said that we're leaving do or die on October the 31st. He's said an awful lot of things.
Which one of them uh, will come true? We shall see. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.